Well, we are right in the heart of this story. Um, Maybe, and arguably one of David's finest hours, as a young man, fully confident in God's will and God's strength and empowerment for his life. He has been a faithful shepherd, um, as well as serving with, with King Saul. Uh, we found out, and we are in um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I've got, I've got this on my notes, and let's check that for sure in my Bible. Um, 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 17, yes. And we're going to be looking at verse 32. But again, just a little recap here, just quickly. Um, that uh, David is in between helping Saul, where he lives, and at the same time helping his own father out. Uh, David is playing his musical instrument, the lyre, to help soothe Saul and that evil spirit that came upon him, the, the spirit of fear or terror, whatever that was. Um, that is a continuing thing that uh, David would continue to do, probably even during the midst. Uh, well, it, it, that, that would go on while this story is taking place or in the midst of, of this. But David also goes home and has shepherding duties with his father, Jesse. And Jesse wants David to go check on the battle. David's not old enough yet. He's not, he's not 20 or older, which is the age that you can join the military at this time says, go and check on them. And he gives a lot of details for David. And if you'll notice something, and just as a side note in this chapter, it's a long chapter and it's filled with a lot of details. I don't know if any of you thought this, you didn't tell me if you did, but you may have thought, why is it taking Pastor Brock so long to get through a story that, you know, when we were kids in Sunday school, it was just, here's the final graph, here's what happened and we're done. Well, because there was a lot of details that are added in here that we don't want to miss. God put these details in this chapter for a reason. And they're not always, you're not always able to get through them in a streamlined fashion for children. But as we're doing a serious study of this book, it's important to, to point these things out. It's kind of along the same lines as that detailed chapter when Saul was anointed king and chosen as king. And it was kind of like we were being um, asked to evaluate what kind of king he would be. And at the end of that chapter with Saul, we were still kind of left um, a little up in the air, a little kind of clueless as to where he came down in his character. Well, folks, here in this chapter, we have a long, detailed chapter of a significant event in David's life. And there's no um, question about David's character when we're done with this chapter. We know what side he's on. We know who he's trusting in. He's fully trusting in the God that has rescued and delivered him before. He has full confidence, and he is angry about this giant that would dare blaspheme the God that he serves, the God of Israel, and also in a secondary way, make fun of Israel's armies as well. And he goes to the battle and he does, he carries out everything that his father asks him to do. And it gives us the details about what that is. He goes to join the battle or see the battle, not join the battle. 
And um, everything is going well up until the point where the giant comes out and David, for the first time, hears his blasphemies and sees the soldiers run. And he gets the um, idea about what's going on. He gets chastised by his brother. Really, in, in, in a sense, uh, David has kind of three opponents in this chapter. His oldest brother, his own brother. Um, we're going to see here in a minute that King Saul kind of takes the same perspective as Goliath. You're too young. What are you going to do? And then Goliath himself, opposition from, from these three. But that doesn't stop David. He's ready, and then he comes before, and we're in verse 32 here, comes before Saul. Saul is told, because word gets to him quickly, there is somebody who wants to take on Goliath. Now, I don't know what Saul was thinking this man would look like. Probably thought that maybe he was taller than himself, and that would be hard to do because Saul was one of the tallest men in the land. But certainly as David came before him, I'm sure he was disappointed when he realized he knew David. David had been in his own house playing his, his uh, harp for Saul. Saul certainly knew him. And David comes before him, and not in a prideful way, not in a cocky way, but just says, verse 32, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. A young shepherd who's not old enough to be in the military tells the king himself not to be afraid. He will fight the Philistine. Saul is not quite as easily persuaded, though. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. You're not even 20 years old yet. And he a man of war from his youth. He's been a, a warrior from, he was probably raised that way. He's, um, one, he's their champion. This is no contest, David. There's no way that you can do this. And a normal young person hearing that probably would have been greatly troubled and bothered in spirit and may have just backed off. But not David. He's confident here. And so he gives his credentials. David says, wait a minute, king. Let me tell you a story. Thy servant kept his father's sheep. This is verse 34. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smoke or struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And then when he came up against me, he tried to fight me. I caught him by his beard and smote him, wow, and slew or killed him, obviously. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. So let's just stop there for a minute. I'm, I'm thinking through this. We have a recent uh, bear story. Um, we were going out, you know, we're at where we live in Katukuk, right in front of the library, and we have that little way from our, prop, from our yard into the library um, yard there in Katukuk. Well, recently in front of that opening there, we found an animal. We'll try to keep this just real clean because I know people just ate. We found that the animal had some droppings and the animal had dropped right in front of our opening there. And I even stepped in it one time, unfortunately. And Leslie, though, and looked at it a little bit closer and she said, ah, that, does, that looks kind of strange. And so she took a, believe it or not, she took a picture of it. <laughs> And she showed it to, I think, Bill. And she said, what do you think this is? And Bill said, those are bear droppings. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and I had just been teasing the boys a little bit because they had just found a tent that we had in the shed. 
and they had set it up right in front of that opening area in the yard and camped out overnight. And one of the things that I said was, hey, guys, be careful. You might just have a bear knocking at the door. Don't let any bears in the tent. And come to find out, we probably do have a bear that's been. And we've, we, we noticed, again, not to be gross here, but some of our bird seed uh, was found there as well. So he's been enjoying some of the things that we've had there in the yard. So anyway, we've had our own little encounter with, um, well, you know, bears, you have to be careful around, right? You, you don't take, you take their presence seriously. Uh, they're not animals to mess around with. David is not afraid of these predatory beasts because he has a responsibility. He's not being reckless. He wasn't being reckless. Hey, I, I just want to take on a lion today or a bear. No, but he is a good shepherd. Unlike the slander that his brother gave about him recently, he's a good shepherd. And in order to take care of those sheep, he had to defeat these predatory enemies, and God gave him the ability to do so, supernatural ability. Don't, don't miss that. This isn't something you could do on your own. I don't care how strong David is or how good of a shot he is with a uh, slingshot. God gave him su supernatural ability to deliver his sheep. But isn't it interesting, now David looks at the giant not in fear, but he looks at Goliath as just another one of those predatory animals that aren't after his sheep, but are in essence after God's sheep, after God's people. And he says, just like God gave me the ability to take on those predatory animals and win, I can take on this predator too, King. I'm confident. So let's look at this again. Thy servant slew, verse 36, both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, this predatory animal beast shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And um, David points out as well here, we'll look at this more in just a minute, that Goliath has actually, in his blasphemies against the God of Israel, has disobeyed and defiled God's law, and there are punishments for that. And David looks at himself, um, from what we can see here, as the one that God will use to punish this giant for uttering blasphemies about the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Okay, so um, Saul, oh, okay, verse 37, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. His, David's faith and courage really are extraordinary. And his plan is very simple. He's just going to take care of this giant. And so after Saul listens, he kind of, as we say in modern vernacular, he takes a gamble with David. And Saul armed David with his own. Oh, and Saul said unto David, go. And the Lord be with thee. And I don't think at this point that was just some nicety that he was saying. I think that really was a prayer for Saul. He's like, oh, please, Lord, be with this young, this young boy, because I don't know how he's going to do it. But if you're going to try, David, then you're going to do it my way. And this is how I would do it if I were going to attack the giant, even though I'm not, because I'm scared of him, too. And that is I'm going to give you my armor. And so he, he armed David with his own armor, and he put on a helmet of brass upon his head. And also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded or strapped his sword upon or over his armor. And he essayed or he tried in vain to go, but he had not proved it. 
He'd not tested them. Now, I remember a children's storybook that I had growing up of this um, event, and it had David as a boy and trying to put on Saul's armor. And it was like a little boy trying to put on his dad's shoes and his dad's shirt and everything. It just kind of falls off him, you know, like this and kind of just lays there. Um, that's not what's going on here, okay? <laughs> this isn't David as an eight-year-old trying to put on armor. I mean, Saul wouldn't give him armor that wouldn't, wouldn't fit him in that way. But what David is realizing here is that he's not used to this. He's not used to this armor. He's not worn it before. He's not been to battle. It's, it, he's not comfortable in it. And so David rejects, in essence, Saul's way. David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved. I've not tested them. And so David put them off of him. Basically, this is going to slow me down too much. I can't fight with this. And it's interesting as well, note this, this really begins a pattern of David rejecting the way of Saul's leadership. And instead, he's going to continue a long line of shepherds whom God had used to lead Israel. You remember some of those shepherds? Moses? In essence, you could say Abraham and Jacob were, were shepherds. Isaac? Um, yeah, can we, we turn on the fan there? Okay, well, Paul's got it then. Yeah, that'll work. I'll take a quick moment here before I forget and mention this. I really appreciate all the continued work that Tom and Bill and, and Arden has been helping with um, making things look better. We're going to have Dan Chisholm come in soon, and he's going to do the electrical work, and he's going to add an extra fan over here and do a lot of different things that are going to be a, a big help to us. So uh, looking forward to, to having that done. But I, I appreciate all these men's efforts and um, all their hard work. Okay, back to the story here. So David says, I'm good. I'm going to do this my way, the way that God has always delivered me. And so what is that way? It's the way of a shepherd, verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag or a pouch, which he had, even in a script, this type of pouch, a bag that he had on his, with him at all times kind of like his shepherd's utility belt or whatever, utility case. And his sling also was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine also draws near to him, came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about, it almost has the idea of he's, David's so small, he's looking about trying to find him and finally spots him and says, what? you got to be kidding me. And he's insulted here. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy. Remember, that was of red complexion, red hair. And remember, though, he's a handsome guy. He's fair countenance. They keep throwing that in there. And the Philistines said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves and sticks? Well, the young shepherd had prepared himself for battle with shepherd's tools, his staff, stones in a pouch. And these stones, um, by some scholars' measurements, they say it could be, they could be as large as tennis balls. Those are pretty good-sized stones. I'm not sure that they were that large, but some scholars think that they were. And a sling. 
And the young shepherd and the giant, if you can imagine, draw near to each other. We still have that map in the back there. If you want to look at where this took place, they draw near. They're assessing each other. Goliath finally gets a good look at David, and he's not impressed at all. He's insulted by the choice for this opposing warrior from Israel. And so before he does anything else, he uses his verbal arsenal, his bullying arsenal of words, to mock David's staff, first of all, and his shepherd's gear. You got your little shepherd's staff there. What are you going to do? And I remember what a shepherd's staff did. It provided correction to animals, to sheep, to dogs, that sort of thing. That's what the shepherd used to make them in line. And basically, Goliath is saying, you're going to use your little shepherd's staff to get me in line or put a dog in line. What do you think you're going to do with that thing? And then he blasphemed Israel's God. And at that moment, for those that knew God's law well, they would have had an idea, an inkling here, how things were going to go. Let me just read you from Genesis 12, 2 and 3, what God says he will do to those who blaspheme him or his people. And I will make of thee a great nation. He's talking to Abraham. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. David probably at this point already realized, I think David had a good knowledge of the law. And maybe he thought to himself, all right, he's done it. He's disobeyed God's law. God's going to give me him into my hand. Just another aspect here. David trusted God's word. And God said, someone curses you. I will deal with them personally. So we've already got an idea of what's going to happen here. Now, Goliath has no idea at all. And unfortunately, most of the rest of Israel has no idea. doesn't seem like they knew, remembered God's word very well. Then what does he do? He continues his verbal threats here. He threatens to kill David, but not only just kill him, but dishonor his dead body and even deny his body burial. Well, let's look at that again. Um, verse 43, am I a dog that thou comest with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. There won't be anything left of you to even be able, your, your people won't even be able to give you a proper burial, David. Well, he doesn't know David's name, little shepherd boy, whatever. And then David said to the Philistine, now David can't match Goliath in stature but he can match him for verbal warfare here. And he has his own things to say. David's not weak in his own verbal arsenal. Um, and he can match the giant in verbal sparring. And David agrees that this is an unfair fight. But listen to this. David said to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, or it might be the idea of a javelin, a lot of armor and a lot of weapons. You're really intimidating, or you think you are, Goliath, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give, you talked about doing this to me, I'll give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. 
and then all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David agrees, hey, this is an unfair fight, but it's not because, giant, of your height or your body armor or your weapons. It's because you, Goliath, are actually the one that's outnumbered two to one. And Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, is on my side. And I'm going to win this battle because God is on my side. And now I'm going to deal with you. And I really think David most likely has the law in mind, Leviticus 24, 16. And David, there's a good chance in his mind he's thinking, I'm going to punish this giant for his crime against the Lord and his blasphemy. Let me read you Leviticus 24, 16. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation, notice how they're supposed to put the blasphemer to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger, as he that is born in the land when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord shall be put to death. The punishment prescribed by the law was stoning. And what does David have in his pouch? Five smooth stones. And he's ready to deal out punishment. And he knows that Yahweh will deliver Goliath into his hand and he will smite him just like he did the lion and the bear. And he'll even deprive him of his own head. This little boy, or well, this, this young man who's a shepherd will do all this. And he won't, in the end, allow Goliath a proper burial. Because the birds, the predatory birds, will have a feast and there'll be nothing left. What is the ultimate pursuit of this triumph? Don't miss this. This is the heart of what David is saying here. Not because David's insulted or because even the primary reason of um, Goliath insulting Israel, but David's purpose in this is to prove the power of the one true God that brings true victory. Verse 47, or actually at the end of verse 46 again, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with a sword and spear, not with all your intimidating uh, armor and weapons, but this battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David says, in my defeating you, it will prove the power of the one true God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And that's the real purpose of all this, Goliath. And guess what? Under those terms, Goliath, you don't stand a chance. And he doesn't even realize that yet. I brought something as a visual tonight. Um, this in no way was the type of pouch that David would have had as a shepherd because this is my camera case, but it seemed appropriate for tonight i've been waiting to use this for a long time and i brought with me five stones i'll put these out here these are special stones now i can't prove this but i was i trust the person that gave me these were gifts from somebody who got to go to israel when i didn't <laughs> And they said that those five stones are actually from the location where David would have got his stones. So that gives you, they're not quite the size of tennis balls, are they? But I trust, uh, this is our former pastor who said that's where he got them. 
However, don't think you can come and pick them up afterwards, but uh, boys, don't throw them, okay? No slingshots tonight. Um, don't think that there might be a potential that David actually touched one of those stones, because what I understand is, is that every year, the Israeli Department of Tourism, whatever, um, comes up to that area with a couple trucks and dumps a whole new load of new stones in that area because they keep being depleted every year. So, <laughs> but they are stones from that very area. So if nothing else, it's, it's a good visual enough. Something like that. David is ready to take on a giant because he knows he has the power of God behind him. Folks, who are you facing that, that is intimidating to you? Sooner or later, we, if in our past or in our future, we all, we have some people come into our orbit that are just mean, that are just um, ornery, that are never satisfied, that really just make it very clear they don't like us. And, and really, if we dropped off the face of the earth, they would never think twice or miss us in any way. Thankfully, the Lord doesn't bring those type of people into our lives every day. I hope not for your sake. But that it can be really, in, there are certain people that the Lord allows into our lives that can be very intimidating for a number of reasons, not because they're nine foot, nine inches, that would be bad enough. But they make it clear that they don't like us, that they're opposed to us. And what do we do with that? How do we react to that? Do we give in to the intimidation? Even King Saul gave in to the intimidation. Well, maybe I need to find somebody else to take. I can't win all the battles. I'll find somebody else. David, uh, all right, if you really want to, son, you could try. But David goes in the confidence of his God. How, how do I apply that to difficult people? Well, folks, we get intimidated, I think, sometimes. And I, I was reminded of this as I was studying. We can get intimidated by those people and say in our minds, well, there's no way those people would ever want to hear about Jesus or about the gospel for me. Maybe somebody that can handle those type of, of mean people can take on, can, can talk to that person. And we get intimidated by even trying to establish a friendship how about this? How about praying, Lord, give me the opportunity and the wisdom and to help show love and kindness to really um, have a part in that person's life to help break down the walls of anger and animosity, whatever those are, so that I could share Christ with them. If David wasn't intimidated by a nine foot nine, nine foot nine inch giant but knew that God was with him. When we come across intimidating people, let's remember God's with us too. And let's remember that underneath many times, probably every time underneath that ornery um, facade, that there's a lot of hurt underneath in those types of people. And if you can get past that and not be intimidated, Many times you might have a really good ministry. Maybe some of you have experienced that where you continue to show love to that person. They really realized that you cared and the Lord gave you an opportunity to witness that you never thought you would have. This is a side application of this, but let's not, we, we do have giants in our lives that intimidate us, but let's remember God's with us and pray for ways to show Christ's love to those people. So David's not intimidated. 
And now we get to the exciting part of the battle here, verse 48. Well, battle of two. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, and you can almost see in slow motion this giant. Now remember, he is fully clad in metal armor. When Goliath moves, it's not quickly, okay? He's going to, his whole um, appearance is supposed to be intimidating so that no one would even dare get as close as David did. They're supposed to have the effect of all the other soldiers and run away from him. He's never had somebody that's actually run to him. And when he actually goes to move, he's going to move very slowly in all of this armor. And he came and drew nigh to meet David. David hasted, though ran quickly. He has agility here. He has um, the, uh, the advantage of speed. And toward the army, he runs toward him, this brave young man to meet the Philistine. And David doesn't even think. It's almost like natural to him. He's done this so many times. He put in his hand in his bag and then it's a stone. Don't worry, I'm not going to throw it. <laughs> okay. I'm not very good with a sling anyway. And a stone, and he slang it. He used the sling. And what happened? We all know. And smote the Philistine in the forehead. David let fly his very first stone. Wouldn't that be great on a hunting trip? It's always better when you get the, from the first shot, right? Well, David gets the first shot here. It sinks right into the giant's forehead. Folks, I know that David was skilled in using a sling, but don't misunderstand. David couldn't have done that. All the power of God goes behind that stone and pushes and forces that stone right into Goliath's forehead. Instant death. David yells, timber, and the giant falls to the ground. Dead. Just like that. It's almost like after all of the buildup, it just ends so quickly. It's like, oh, man, is that the end of the story? Yep, life's dead. It took one verse, and we're done. Not even a whole verse. And what did David? David was good to his promise. And for those of you young children that love gory things, verse 51, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him in case, just making sure he was dead. And, of course, he gave went true to his promise, and Goliath loses his head. Now the enemy sees this, and they're about to lose their heads collectively in terror. Now, as much as I hope to get to see this someday, I, I think we all would love to see this part of the battle where David slings that sling and Goliath falls to the ground. But folks, after I watch that, I just as much really want to see the faces of the Philistines as they're cheering Goliath on. Yeah, you go get him. Can you believe that little guy? And all of a sudden, the little guy lets that stone fly and their hero falls dead, deader than a doornail. And immediately they're all, oh, uh-oh. And the look of terror, we just lost our super secret weapon. And they take off the other way. And I'd love to see the Israelite soldiers' faces as they're, oh, poor David. How could that king, how could our king let such a young boy, he's not even in the military yet, go face that giant? Oh, look at him. He's throwing his rock. And, oh, oh, look, he's dead. The giant's dead. And they all get riled up and they get excited and they go after the Philistines. This had to have been. I'd love to see those faces one day and the facial expressions there. Um, and 
an amazing victory that Yahweh gives Israel. Yahweh delivers Goliath into David's hand. So I'm trying to find my notes here again. Okay. The enemy flees in terror and Israel's armies rally in excitement and pursue the enemy out of the land. And then they go and spoil all the enemy's provisions. And let's read that real quick. Um, Verse 51, after David makes Goliath lose his head. (laughs) And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. That rhymes. Verse 52, and the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted, yeah, David did it, and pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. They pursued them all the way home. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sherim, Sheriam, and even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered all their tents, and they gained all of uh, the things that they owned and God gave them, provided for them, gave them a wonderful victory. And in the meantime, again, kind of gross here, David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Souvenirs of a victory that God had given him. That's something interesting here. Don't miss this. It says David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem. That's interesting. And you might say, well, Pastor Brock, of course David would take it. Jerusalem is the capital city, and he's the king, and he lives in Jerusalem. Well, actually, he's not the king yet, and Jerusalem's not the capital city. Uh, Why would David take the head of Goliath to Jerusalem? Possibly, in the midst of all this, David has always, maybe he's had in his mind early on, that city is centrally located within Israel. That would be a great place to have a capital someday or a central city. I don't know. Probably the more practical aspect of that was that um, it was a central location uh, where he could put this trophy of God's power and remind the enemies all over Israel that you mess with Israel, you mess with Israel's God. And this is what happens to you. Central location to remind Israel's enemies of their all-sufficient, all-powerful God. Seems like a good place. Well, we're not done yet. Let's continue on here because Saul has an interesting response to all of this. Verse 55, and when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? Saul, why would you ask that? He's been playing the harp in your home, relieving you of this, these terrible spirits or whatever that's going on. Uh, you know, is, is this, and of course, some critics then look at this and take this as an opportunity. Oh, see, here's a mistake in the timing. Bible doesn't get everything accurately. There's a whole lot of explanations for this that kind of take all this into account. It's not that Saul is now seeing David for the first time. Um, But remember, uh, that process of David playing for Saul happened over a period of time. So maybe Saul's still getting to know David at this point, and he turns to his general, Abner, remember, who's also his cousin or his nephew, and says, who, where does that kid, where does his family live again? 
Most likely what I think is going on here, though, is something a little more official. And that is um, that Saul's making an official military inquiry of David's family information. Because remember, one of the rewards that David gets is that his family is freed from all tax burdens or from a lot of tax burdens. So I think what's going on here is Saul wants to get more official information from the general about who David is. You know, today it'd be his address, his social security number, all these things in order to give him this, this benefit that he's allowed to have. So it's not as if Saul has forgotten who David is. But I think there's another aspect here, though, that I'm convinced has a, plays a part in this. I think this also represents that King Saul just doesn't play, pay close attention to the personal details of those around him because he's too self-focused on himself. Not even to be able to remember the family names of others that are around him. It's almost like he's saying, oh, David, wow, did you see what he did? What was his dad's name again? I can't remember. Even though I've met his dad and talked with his dad, I think Saul has so much self-focus that he tends to forget the details of the people around him. And of course, his general doesn't really know. Um, it probably hasn't had too much dealing with David in the past because he's not in the army or a part of the military. And so Saul says, verse 56, the king said, inquire thou whose son the stripling is or the boy is. And as David returned from striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him, the general got him took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine still in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, well, I'm the son of thy servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Remember, you just talked with my dad recently and made that deal where I could go home from time to time. But, you know, whatever. There's other reasons here for what, what's going on. And so they get all this established. And Saul recognizes that God is with David and wants to now make good on the blessings that he has given him. Uh, by the way, as we continue on in this narrative, one of the reasons that, it, that it, it's pretty certain that David is an older teenager or close to 20 is remember one of the rewards that he gets is the king's daughter, and he'll make good on that before too long. And if he's a little boy at this point, that really doesn't match up well, right? So he's got to be an older teen, close to 20 at this point. And then we'll find next week that after this, David and Jonathan meet and their souls are knit together. And there's a wonderful godly friendship here, accountability friendship that God gifts both of them. Two young men that both have hearts for God. And therefore, they have a, the basis of a wonderful friendship. And we're going to see David's life continues to be blessed. And God's law promised in Deuteronomy 29, 8 and 9, God said, Keep therefore the words of the covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that you do. And David's life is an example of the fulfillment. Obey God's law. God will allow you to prosper. And so David, at the end of this chapter, has proven what kind of character he has. Yes, he is a man after God's own heart. There's no doubt about that. I hope that each of us can have that kind of testimony. Not perfect, but do you have that kind of confidence in our God? 
Do you have that kind of confidence that no matter what we face, that we can go to prayer and we can bring these things to the Lord and he will hear us and provide us an answer one way or another? Do we have confidence when we face the really difficult things in our lives that God will answer and will provide for us? I hope so. David gives us a good testimony of just that. Yes. And one thing is we were looking at this. God didn't bring Goliath as the first foe for David to tackle. You know, there was the, the lion, there was the bear, and you know, food for thought for me, right? There are the faithful things that I can be, you know, strong in. And as God allows me to build faith in him to prepare me for future things that might be bigger in scale. But yeah. yet the confidence you were mentioning grows with each level of, of faith, of trusting God. Yes, yes, that, that's very good. <laughs> Thankfully, God doesn't immediately face it or present us with a huge giant in our lives many times, but he works in our lives through smaller things and increases our faith and our, our spiritual strength and prepares us for when the time comes to meet those giants. That's very good, good insight there.